amen to that. Well, I want to begin with prayer this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are so thankful for the blessing we have in corporate worship. And I just pray this morning that the songs we've sung would be truth to us. Lord, it's one thing for us to sing about Holy Spirit, you being welcome here. It's one thing for just us to go through the motions of just confessing you as our Lord. One thing for us to go through these things that we're standing in awe of you. God, I pray that wasn't just emotions for us or just words for us this morning. But God, it was the truth of what we're feeling in our hearts. And God, if there's any of us to wear our affections and the awe of you and the desire for the Holy Spirit to come meet with us, those words that we sang did not match up with what our heart affections were. Would you forgive us this morning for that, Lord? And God, this morning, would you just stir our heart affections for the things of you? I don't know why, but this morning I sense in my own heart and the heart of so many of these precious brothers and sisters, there's so many burdens, so many distractions. I feel like we're just, our minds are racing in a million directions this morning. So I ask this morning that, Holy Spirit, you would come and meet with us. You would settle our minds, that you would focus us on the all of the Almighty, on your grandeur, O oh Lord, and on your greatness. Lord, whatever those, I don't know what's happening to each person's heart and soul, but we can just sense distractions all over this morning. I pray this morning, oh God, that you would focus our hearts and minds on you. We ask for much, much grace for your word to come alive to us, Lord, for your word to be like food for our soul this morning, and God, that you would be glorified, and what we've just sung would, if it's not where our heart affections are this morning, would be our heart affections by the time we leave this place today, that we really do long to meet with you, oh Lord, that we really do long to see you glorified above all. So would you give us your peace this morning? Would you give us your focus this morning that we might hear from you? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, okay, we find Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. As we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the people in Ephesus and to us, we've been seeing a lot in recent weeks about what it means to walk worthy of our calling in Christ. What it means to take our identity in Christ. Everything we saw in chapters 1 through 3 of what it means that we who are God's enemies are now his friends. We who are far off are now seated at his table. We've been brought near. All the stuff he's done for us, giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He said he's done all that for us. Now walk worthy. Now live out. Keep in balance. Here's who I say you are. So God says now live it out practically in your daily life. Last week we saw the paradigm for what walking worthy looks like. And if you remember, it involved putting off getting rid of the sin in our life, anything that's inconsistent with who we say we are in Christ, anything inconsistent with the character of God, we need to put off, we need to get rid of in our life. But as we saw last week, it's not enough to just to put off to get rid of things. We need to intentionally put on. We need to replace those simple things with Christ-like virtues in our life. And so the pattern for Christian living, the pattern for how we walk worthy is we put off our sin and we put on righteousness and Christ-likeness. Now, Paul's going to take that pattern. He's going to apply it to us in lots of ways. And over the next several weeks, we'll see him apply this area of putting off, putting on to things like anger, to things like stealing, to things like bitterness in our heart, to things like sexual sins, and much more. But where is Paul going to start? He's going to start with our mouths, with our speech. You may be thinking, but wait, didn't we just talk about speech? That seems really familiar. And yes, that's right. Two weeks ago, Paul's already talked about speech, and we're back to speech already again just two weeks later. In fact, Two weeks ago, we saw from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Let me refresh our memory. So, well, Taylor's going to put it up on the screen for us. Ephesians 4, 15 tells us, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And we saw two weeks ago that this was talking about for us as a body of believers, for the church to be healthy and to know we have to lovingly speak the gospel to one another. Here, the speaking the truth is about speaking the gospel, that our main obligation to one another is to keep the gospel 
before one another so that we can help each other grow, that we are all God's grace gift to one another. We're going to come to speech again just a few verses later this morning in verse number 25 in Ephesians chapter 4. Here it's not going to be specifically about just speaking the gospel to one another. It's going to be about all of our speech. Everything we say in every moment of every day is now in view and what we're looking at this morning. But when we talk about speech, friends, can I remind us this involves our writing as well. This involves our online social media posting as well also. Don't think of this go, man, I'm glad Paul tackled speech. I'm so glad the Bible doesn't say I have to watch what I write on Facebook or Instagram. Like this, is, this covers anything, any form of communication. We're calling it speech, but it's dealing with communication. So what we're seeing here applies to what we post online, on our blogs, on Facebook, what we say, what we text. This is all forms of communication. Don't limit it just to our mouth, but anything that we are communicating here is in view. So as we come to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, we're only going to tackle one verse this morning. This is a very powerful verse and a very relevant verse for us. It's going to be all about putting off dishonesty in all forms of our communication. We're going to be putting off, we're going to be getting rid of, removing from our life anything that even begins to hint at any form of lies, falsehood, dishonesty. As we come to Ephesians 4.25 this morning, as we read this verse, I want you to look for two things in the verse. We're to get rid of falsehood. What do we replace it with? But also I want you to look for why is it so important to get rid of falsehood and replace it. Because I was studying the text this week, the reason Paul gives is not the reason I expected to be there. It's not what I would have written as the main reason. So what is the reason that it's so important for us to put off falsehood? So we're going to be at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Because it flows out of the pattern of last week, I want us to start back in verse 22 and then work down to verse 25. So I'm going to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The words will be on the screen for you. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Thank you. You may be seated. So the one thing I want you to see from Ephesians chapter 4 this morning is this, that we are to put off, we're to get rid of all forms of falsehood, and we're to put on truth-telling for the good of the body. There's the put off and the put on. We're to put off, we're to get rid of, we're by God's grace to remove any form of falsehood from our life, and we're to replace it, we're to put on something else, we're to put on truth-telling, speaking the truth in all of our communications, and the reason is for the good of the body. Now, with that in view, friends, I want to remind us that falsehood, speaking non-truths, is a real temptation for all of us. It was in the Bible. You see people like Jacob, people like Moses, people like Peter, who fell to the temptation of speaking lies, of speaking falsehood. It was a real temptation for the people that Paul's writing in Ephesus. From what we know from the history of Ephesus, it was a town full of lies, a culture built on dishonesty. Remember, many of the people he's writing to in Ephesus were young believers who's been brought out of that pagan lifestyle, whether it was witchcraft or worshiping a false god Artemis in the temple or just non being non-believers. God has rescued them from that old ways in a culture full of lies. And so the scholars believe that the early church struggled with lying in Ephesus because of the prevalence of the culture and so many of them being young believers. Now friends, I need to remind us that falsehood is a real temptation for you and I as well. And my caution for us this morning, it's easy for us to look at a verse like Ephesians 4.25 to put off false and be like, okay, 
I think I'm okay on this one. I know there's some things I don't get right, but I think I'm okay here because I really don't intentionally set out and try to lie to people all day long. And so we can easily check out on things like this. But I'm going to challenge us that falsehood is more of a struggle in our hearts than most of us really realize. And so before we think it doesn't apply to us, I want to give you some different types of falsehoods that perhaps is a struggle and in some of our lives. These are not unique to me. There's actually a book from Lou Priolo, a biblical counselor. It's a new resource that we have out in the resource center in the hall called Deception, Letting Go a Lying. He's looked through and he's found examples in Scripture of 24 different types of lying. So I'm not going to give you all 24. I've simplified them down to about 12 common forms of lying I think we as believers struggle with. This is adapted from Lou Priolo. Number one, outright lies. Now, this is where I think a lot of us think, I'm okay, I don't intentionally go up to someone and be, I'm just going to tell them something really false today, you know. But an outright lie where we intentionally speak a non-truth to other people. But that can take lots of forms besides our speech. It can take the form of plagiarism. It can take the form of schoolwork. Turning in something that's not our own, that's a lie, saying this is mine when it's not. Friends, I think a lot of Christians lie around April 15th every year on tax returns. Falsifying information, putting down things that aren't true about our finances on that fabricating stories. A very prominent Christian leader a few years ago got caught. His testimony that was really, really powerful, how God delivered him from Islam and all these things, and if they find out it was a farce. He had fabricated a story, and he had made, sold books and traveled and spoken conferences and taught on evangelism, and it was a fabricated story, and he was a follower of Christ. Outright lies, telling things that we know are not true. Number two, partial truths. Partial truths. This is where we speak the truth. We're not lying, but we intentionally omit key parts of information to try to change someone's perception. We may not be outwardly lying as we think of it, but we're trying to create a false impression in someone's mind by not lying, but we're still trying to accomplish that. That's still a falsehood. A partial truth to try to change someone's perception is a type of falsehood. Number three, exaggeration. Building up our story, saying more than what really happened. I think we do this sometimes trying to fill in the blanks and stories of what's trying to understand what's going on. I hear a good bit of this in marriage counseling. She always does that to me. He never does that. Friends, always and nevers are pretty good signs that we're exaggerating. We're saying things that are not true. Your wife does not always bother you. Your husband does not always not clean up. Like, there's always and nevers are exaggerations. You're trying to boost our cases in that point by exaggerating to make ourselves look better. That's a type of falsehood. So outright lies, partial truths, exaggeration. Number four, concealment. Saying, I don't know when you know. How many times do people ask us questions and we say, yeah, I really don't know when we really do. Hiding things that are true. Someone comes and asks you, hey, I need some money. I'm struggling right now. Hey, sorry, I don't have any cash in my wallet. You know, it's concealment when you might actually do. These are all types of falsehood. Number five, slander. Trying to create a negative perception of a person, often based on suspicions. You may not even know it's sure, but you suspect it, so you begin to slander their character. Number six, flattery. Praising a person, not because you really mean it, but because you're trying to get something for yourself. So flattery is a type of dishonesty and falsehood that would be in view here. Number seven, hidden agendas. Having a different motive than you express to a person. Hey, I want to meet with you to learn about your family. When really you're trying to sell a product to them or something. That's a hidden agenda. And that happens in the church, not just in sales things. But, hey, I want to get together with you to catch up when really there's an agenda you're trying to push or something you're wanting to say into their life. And agendas are a type of falsehood. Number eight, making commitments with no intention of keeping them. Making commitments with no intention of keeping them. Oh, sure, sure, yeah, we'll try to meet up with your, with your group tonight. I hope we can when you know in your heart you really don't mean to. How many of us have done this with parenting? If you do that again, I'm going to spank you. 
Now, if you do it again, I'm going to. Now, don't make me say it again. And we're saying even threats of discipline. We really don't intend to keep. Friends, that's a form of falsehood. Number nine, emotion and body language lies. When we intentionally change our emotions or our face to hide what we really mean and believe, often for manipulative purposes. Acting surprised. No, I didn't know they were struggling with that. When in your heart you already knew, but you didn't want to act like you knew something ahead of time. There's lots of ways that we as believers can even use our body language at times in lying. Number 10, minimizing the extent of our past sins. I've seen this in pre-marriage counseling when couples are talking through their struggles of the past. Yeah, that was a little problem for me a long time ago. And then they get married and they realize, no, that wasn't a little problem. That was a big problem that still has its roots deep. But minimizing the extent of our past sins. Number 11, blame shifting for our sins. I wouldn't have rebelled if my parents had just given me more freedom. It's their fault. I wouldn't, I'd be more engaged as a husband if she just wouldn't ask so much of me. We, instead of dealing with our sin, we blame shift, and that's a form of falsehood. We're trying to create a negative impression of someone else to justify ourselves. And the last one, number 12, claiming to be close to God when we're continuing in sin. Claiming to be close to God when continuing in sin. And friends, I think this is a bigger threat of false in our life than we realize. Again, thinking through the songs we were singing this morning, like are we really, when we're saying, God, I stand in all of you, are we really meaning that? Friends, when we're staying there and saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to come. You're welcome here. Do we really want the Holy Spirit to come and to meet with us? Friends, the falsehood is so prevalent. It's everywhere, and it's more in our hearts than often I think we like to admit. Now, I want to give one word of caution here, because this could be a whole sermon. Maybe this will be a sermon for another day. Christians are not in agreement if there is ever a place where it's okay to speak a non-truth for a greater good. So, Nazi Germany... Jews are being obliterated by Hitler. Corrie ten Boom, a follower of Christ, hides the Jews. She lies to protect innocent life. Is there a place to where you can speak non-truth because there is a greater good in times of persecution, in times of war, and things like that? Again, Christians are divided on that, and those questions cause us to raise deep heart issues of motives, and it causes us to think very biblical in terms of what is a biblical worldview that informs something as tough is that. That's not for today. That'll be a sermon for another day. We could spend probably 40 minutes just on that talk, but I want to acknowledge that because I don't want this to come across as there's never a place that that might happen. Friends, many of our missionary friends that we pray for and support, when they're going into China and the Chinese government says, what are you here for? Most of them are not standing at immigration control being like, hi, I'm a missionary of the Southern Baptist Commission here to make sure all the Chinese know about Jesus Christ and repent. They're doing partial I'm, I'm here to help the society. I'm here to teach. And so is that a lie or is that not a lie? Is that a lie but not simple? Again, there's some deep questions that come up in that. That's for another day. That's not the focus here. Because the reality is for you and for I, the, the temptation is not that. Very few of us have had to come to a crossroads. We have to realize, am I going to have to say a non-truth here to protect the church from getting arrested? Or do, do, I, do I need to, to speak the truth here because it's going to mean this person is going to get executed for their faith? That, that's not where you and I are the crossroads. So I'm not, again, that would be a fun philosophical thing for us to wrestle with. Where you and I struggle is on the day-to-day interaction when our husband or our wife or our kids ask us something, when our boss asks us something, when the government asks us for our finances. We struggle more in the very clear-cut, sinful patterns of falsehood. So that's what I want to speak into today. So friends, when you and I see falsehood in our life, whether it's partial truths, whether it's exaggeration, whether it's claiming to be close to God when we're not, whether it's any of those things, what do we do when the Spirit of God shows us that type of falsehood in our life? 
And the answer from Ephesians 4.25, go back there, is we have to put it off. I'm back at verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood. Notice he says, therefore. What's the therefore? Therefore, it's because we have a new nature, because we belong to God, because we're claiming to submit to Christ, or because Christ has redeemed us, something should change in our life. Something should be different. And that means we have to get rid of all forms of falsehood in our life. But notice how it's phrased. Therefore, it doesn't say start putting off falsehood. It doesn't say begin to. It says having, past tense, put away falsehood. Now, that's odd to me. Why in the world would it say having already put away falsehood? I think Paul uses the past tense here because he's reminding us of what Christ has already done for us, friends. You and I are not going to put off falsehood in our own strength. I'm not saying that we can just get white-knuckled determination and get rid of all patterns of lying and falsehood in our life. Christ has to do it for us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 reminds us of this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's everything we've seen in Ephesians 1 through 3, he is a new creation. The old has already passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, if we are following Christ, if we are seated at his table, he has already begun the work. He already has gotten rid of our old nature and given us a new nature. He's already freed us from the prison of our sin. And so it's past tense because any gains in godliness we're going to have in putting off is going to come because Christ has already accomplished our freedom for us. But I think it's also past tense because it's a reminder that if we're claiming the name of Christ, there should already be growth in this and every other area of our lives. You've heard me say over and over, friend, when we come to Christ, we don't pray a prayer because we don't want to go to hell. Following Christ means I have fallen in love with Him. I want to see His glory. I want Him to be my Lord, my boss, my master. And so I'm going to submit my life to His authority. And as I do that, He's going to convict me when I fall short. He's going to grow me. So if we are in Christ, there should already be patterns of growing in godliness. Therefore, having already been putting away falsehood in our lives, we should be already experiencing that. But it's a reminder, command to keep experiencing that and keep growing in that more and more. But if the paradigm, friends, is to put off and to put on, we put off lying. We put off all these forms of falsehood, the partial truths, the exaggerations, the claiming to be close to God when we're not, making commitments we don't mean. We put all that off, but that's not enough. Holiness, Christ-likeness is just not doing those things. It has to be replaced with something else. And so what do we replace it with? Go back to verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let, now here comes the command, let each one of you, now that, friends, that's for every believer. What's following is not just for the pastors and the missionaries, This is for everyone. Therefore, here's the command for every believer. If you name the name of Christ, if you are experiencing Ephesians 1 through 3, here is the command. Speak the truth with his neighbor. Speak the truth in the Greek language was an imperative. That means it's a command with much force. This is not optional. In the life of a believer, God's command for us is that we will speak the truth. But what's interesting here is this command is not a one-time command. There's a Greek tense that means it happens once. This is present tense. This means that ongoing every day, we're to speak the truth. The normative pattern of the Christian life is to be continually ongoing in every interaction we possibly can imagine, speaking the truth. Everything I write or say will be completely true by God's grace. That's the pattern that Paul is laying out for us here in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And friends, can I remind us what we've already saw beginning of chapter 4? We're to speak the truth in love, but we're to do so with humility, with gentleness, with forbearing love. This goes back to what we talked about before with speaking the truth in love, friends. It's one thing for us to speak the truth and say, you're living in sin, but that's not speaking the truth in love. There's a loving way to go to a brother and sister who's struggling to say, I struggle too, you struggle too. Let's come alongside each other. 
for the good of building up the body. Friends, this is to everything we say and write should be true, but it should be gracious as well. Friends, we serve a God who is completely true. God never lies. So he expects us to, to never lie either. But friends, God is also a God of much, much grace. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. Think of his patience and his gentleness and even the way he has disciplined you as a follower of Christ. And friends, that same gentleness and graciousness is how we are to speak the truth to one another as well. Doing so is putting on Christ's likeness. That's what holiness is all about. It's becoming more like Christ as we graciously speak the truth to one another. The question is why? Why, friends, are we to put off all forms of falsehood? Why are we to put on truth-telling in all of our interactions? Why is it so important? Well, Paul gives us a reason. Like I said, it's not the reason I expected. I'm going to tell you three reasons I expected to be there first, because they're all biblical, but not what Paul says in this particular place. We could easily say we should put off all falsehood and put on truth-telling because God hates lying. I mean, that could be a valid main point. In fact, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, if I was preaching that text, that might be my main idea for the, today. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And he goes on in the next verses with more things. But it says the Lord hates. He sees lying as an abomination. Friends, this is serious in the eyes of God. So it is very biblical to say we should put off all faults, say we should put on truth telling because God hates lying. Less good for Proverbs. That's not what Paul says today. What else could it be? Well, I might have thought that it would be we put off all faults, say we put on truth telling because it's a sin against God. That would be a very valid point. But again, that's not what Paul says. But look at Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, if I was preaching that text today, my main point would probably be we should put off false and put on truth-telling because sin, because lying is a sin against God. Do not lie to one another, seeing that he put off the old self with his practices. And in verse 10, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Lying is a sin, friends, because it's going against the very nature of God that we're claiming to follow going against the very likeness of Christ that we're saying we want to follow. And so lying is a sin against God. That's very true, but that's not what Paul says here today. One more I thought might be here if I was expecting this. We we should put off all forms of falsehood. We should put on truth-telling because God himself is truth. We should be modeling ourselves after God. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, if I was preaching that text, that might be my main point. Put off falsehood, put on truth because God himself is truth. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. God is true, therefore we should be putting on truth. That is very biblical, and that would be a very good idea. But that's not the reason Paul gives today, that those are all biblical and true. Go back to verse 25. What is Paul focusing in on this letter to the Ephesians? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for... Here's the reason today. We are members of one of another. Paul says you have to get rid of all lying and falsehood. You have to put on truth-telling because you are the body of Christ. Because you are the church. You see a theme in Ephesians here? The church is that important to God that the very first practical application of put off, put on, that gives us is to speak the truth for the good of building up the body. Which is everything we've been seeing in Ephesians, that God is passionate about seeing the church built up, seeing believers strengthened and growing in godliness, not just meeting together for an hour a week and living like the world. He wants the church to be the church, living in community, growing in godliness for his glory and for his presence to dwell in the midst of believers. He, God is so committed to that. He says in verse 25, to put off falsehood, to put on truth, because we are members one of another. Think about it this way. I said it last week. 
our sin harms the whole body. What we contribute to the church are not just our gifts, but our godliness. So think about something. Think about your own body for a minute. What would happen if your body parts started lying to one another? You ever thought about what would happen if your body parts started lying to one another? You're cooking breakfast this morning. You're putting those, those waffles in the oven or working with a frying pan, and you touch something that's super hot. And your hand says to your brain, that's actually not hot. That's cold. You're okay. By the time you hear this morning, you're going to have blood dripping off your hands. Your skin's going to come off because your hand lied to your brain, and those protective mechanisms God gave have broken down because of a lie. If your body parts lied to each other, you'd be in a heap of trouble, right? What if your eyes lied to your brain about where the steps are in your house? And your brain says, you're actually on level ground. Take a step out. And you take a step out, and you're, boom, you face plant there at the bottom of the steps. There's going to be injury. You may have broken bones because your eyes lied to your brain. What would happen if your ears lied to your brain? And you're out, and you're walking across Bell Road today, and your ears say, no, that, you didn't hear a car honking. You're okay. And then you get leveled in the middle of Bell Road because your ears lied to your brain and told you you're okay, and you didn't hear that car horn on that. Friends, I know that sounds silly, but our body parts don't lie to each other. If they do, it's a medical problem. We run to the emergency room and get medical help to make sure the body's communicating like it's supposed to. In the same way, think of the harm that comes to the body of Christ when we lie to one another. There's a reason that one of the main images that God gives us for the church is a body. Because we're to be that interconnected and we're to function the way a body functions. Different parts all working together for one good. Friends, if we lie to one another and do not speak truth to one another, even if it's not outright lies, even if it's our cultural white lies, even if it is partial truth, even if it's exaggeration, even if it's claiming to be close to God when we're not, whatever, we're doing the same harm to the church that would be to our body if our body parts lied to one another. The vision comes from that. People get torn down. The growth of the church stops. The glory of God is marred in the sense of not being visible to other people, and that's just for starters. But when we as believers take that, those lies outside the walls of the body to the community, now the watching world looks on and starts seeing us in our lives, and our witness is marred, and the church, the reputation of believers all across the world is marred because of our lies, because of our half-truths, because of our exaggeration, all these things. Friends, we are the body of Christ. Therefore, it is absolutely vital, it is absolutely essential for us to put off all falsehood and to put on truth-telling. So how do we practically do that? What does it practically look like to put off falsehood and to put on truth-telling? What do we do when we see patterns of falsehood in our lives? I want to give us just a few principles to help us think through how do we do this. Friends, when we look in our hearts and the Holy Spirit shows us patterns of falsehood, again, maybe it's not even outright lies. Maybe it's the more subtle types of falsehood. When we see it, what do we do? Number one, we need to, first of all, make sure we're a child of God. We need to make sure we're a child of God. Friends, lying in falsehood is of our old Nature doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with it, but if throughout our whole life we have pattern after pattern of lie after lie after lie, and there's no conviction and no change, we have to go back to that fundamental question, am I really a child of God because I'm just living out my old nature? In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a pretty stern warning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 tells us, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises or corrects every son whom he receives. And then in verse 7 it goes on, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Friends, if our lives are marked with patterns of falsehood and there's no conviction from the Lord and there's hardness of heart and there's really no desire to change, 
God disciplines us. If we're a follower of Christ claiming his name and we are living in sin, he will, in his love and his grace, discipline us. In fact, in verse 11, a few verses down in Hebrews 12, we're told, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. We all remember that from our childhood, right? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Friends, if we have patterns of falsehood and there's no conviction, no pursuit of the Lord to grow in guidance, friends, we need to go back to the fundamental question, am I a child of God? If I am a child of God, it doesn't mean I won't struggle with lying. That we've been released from the prison, those old patterns can still hang on to us. So we are going to fall short. But when we fall short, what do we do? Number two, we confess our sin when we fall. We confess our sin when we fall. First John chapter 1, verse 8. This is a beautiful promise from the Word of God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Friends, so if we say, oh, I never lie... We need to go look at this 12-point list again and look really close to our heart and ask God to search us because we all have patterns of faults in our life. But, friends, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, if we are a child of God and we have patterns of faults that are even a single lie in our life, we need to quickly confess it to God. And he's promised, he's not going to hold it against us, he's going to forgive us. And not just forgive us, he's going to cleanse us from that unrighteousness in our life, from that thing that is hindering us from being Christ-like. So, friends, we confess it to God, but can I remind us we also need to confess it to the other person? When we speak falsehood, it is a sin against God, but it's also a sin against someone else who's made in the image of God. So we need to not only go to God and say, God, I, I've messed up here. And let me just encourage you as well. Often we confess our sins with a lot of vagary, you know, in the terms of, or vagueness, I guess is the right word. I guess I made up a word there. But... In, in the vagueness, oh, Lord, I messed up again. Forgive me. No, that, that's, that's not helpful confession. Confession is, Lord, you have told me to put off all falsehood, and I just lied when I told my children I was going to do this, and I did not follow through with it. We need to confess our sins specifically to God and receive his forgiveness. But then, friends, we need to specifically confess it to the other person as well, to give them an opportunity to forgive us and to be reconciled to them. So make sure we're a child of God. When we do fall, confess that sin to God and to the other person. Now, number three... We need to be patient to earn back the other person's trust. We need to be patient to earn back the other person's trust. Friends, forgiveness and trust are two very different things, and they get confused a lot, I think, in our thinking. Forgiveness means I'm not going to ever hold it against you. I'm not going to use it against you. It doesn't mean we can never talk about it before. I can't tell you how many times in marriage counseling, even just helping friends work through things, or people have told me something like, well, I told him I forgive him. Why does he still want to talk about it? Because we're free in Christ to talk about it. Forgiveness doesn't mean we don't talk about it. Forgiveness in Christ means that we don't use it against each other, but we can now talk about it with all the bitterness put aside, with forgiveness on the table. We can now talk about it so we don't end up in the same place. A lot of marriages, a lot of parent-child relations would be a lot healthier if biblical forgiveness could happen, followed up with peaceful conversations, dealing with those issues so we don't get back in the same place. But forgiveness means is immediate. I'm not going to hold it against you. I forgive you. I'm going to let go of the offense. But... Trust takes time, friends. I've heard people who have sinned against each other and there have been patterns of lying and say, well, she forgave me, why doesn't she trust me right away? Because trust takes time. Forgiveness and trust are different things. So if you're one who, through your lives, has caused someone to lose trust in you, be patient with them. And the way you gain their trust back is over time, walking in godliness, letting the Spirit of God transform you so you begin to put off the faults and speak the truth in love. And as you do that, and when you do falter, you quickly run to the person and say, you know, my old patterns came back. I spoke a lie to you when I exaggerated that. And you confess it, you deal with it, you be proactive and deal with it, and trust will grow with time. Make sure you're a child of God, 
confess your sin to God and the other person. Three, be patient and willing to earn trust back. Number four, get other believers to help you grow. Get other believers to help you grow. Friends, you've you've heard me say over and over, holiness is a community project. God doesn't call us in my own strength, my own determination to fight this sin and get rid of it. We are in this together. We are God's grace gift to one another. And so we need to help each other. James chapter 5, verse 16 is a great, great message for us. Therefore, confess your sins privately. No, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Friends, if you're struggling with falsehood in your life and any of the type of things we mentioned, the best thing you can do is confess it to God, but find some brothers and sisters who love the Lord. doesn't mean they're perfect. And just say, hey, I'm struggling with it. Would you pray for me? And would you live out Ephesians 4.15 to truth me in love to help me grow? So make sure your child of God confess your sins to God and to others. Be patient and willing to earn people's trust back. Number four, get other believers to help you grow. Number five, ties in with last week, identify the wrong belief that led to lies. Identify the wrong belief. Friends, you heard me say last week, I'm convinced that every outward sin has a wrong belief that drives it. We often focus on the sin of lying or the sin of falsehood or the sin of whatever. And we don't go deep enough into our hearts to figure out what is the lie I believe that even led to this. I heard someone once say, and I think they're right, that almost all of our lies come from two wrong, two, two thoughts, either fear or greed. Now, almost every lie we're going to say comes out of either fear or greed, fear, I'm afraid of my safety. I'm afraid of what others think about me. I'm afraid of whatever. Therefore, I lie to try to keep that fear in my heart from happening. Or for the other thing that people believe is greed. I want more than I have. I want something different than I have. Therefore, I lie to get it. I fabricate my story to get it. Fear or greed drive most of our lies. So friends, make sure we're children of God. If we are, confess our sin to God and others. Be patient in earning people's trust back as we walk in holiness. The other believers help us grow and identify the wrong belief that has led to the lies. Friends, much is at stake on this. Friends, we have to, by God's grace, put off falsehood. We have to, by God's grace, put on truth-telling for the good of the body. It'll affect not only your joy, your life, your family, your home. It's going to affect the church and the witness of believers, not just in Montgomery, but all over the world. So this week, I want to challenge you. It's kind of a scary prayer to pray, but God, would you search my heart and would you reveal to me any areas of falsehood in my life that I have not been dealing with? It's not always fun to pause and say, Spirit of God, I'm just going to sit still before you. And I want you to search me and show me, have there been any lies I've, I've said? Outright lies, partial truths, exaggerations, claiming to be close to God when I'm not, saying things I really have no intention of following up with, and to, and to confess that to God. Let him search you and say, show me if there's sin in my heart. And if he does show us sin in our hearts, be quick to confess it to him. To deal with it, he's promised to, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he shows us things that's not because he wants to beat us up over it. So we saw in Hebrews, it's his discipline. And he yields that fruit of righteousness, friends. Think of the fruit of righteousness that would happen in our lives if we would sit still before the Lord and say, Search me, Spirit of God. Show me where I err. And then, friends, if we realize that we've lied to someone else, it's the hardest of this week, but to pray for much grace to go to that person and say, You know, I love you, but I wasn't acting very loving because I didn't speak the truth to you. I exaggerated. I wasn't clear about my, my past sins, whatever it is. I, I told you I didn't know when I knew. And to go to that person and say, would you forgive me? And then begin the process of building back their trust. But then, friends, as well, would you take time this week? If God shows you areas in your life to where there's falsehood, would you take the time this week to say, Lord, show me what belief I'm believing that's led to this? Because there's something underlying it that drives that. And ultimately, friends, this is a cry out for grace. 
you nor I are going to change any pattern of sin in our life by just hanging on harder and trying harder. It's going to be the grace of God that's going to reach down in his kindness and mercy that's going to transform us into being what he wants us to be. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for your grace. And Lord, in what I know is a tougher message of putting off falsehood, Lord, we're grateful for your grace, that you love us so much and you love the church so much that you're going to show us our sin. God, I'm thankful that you do discipline us in our sin. God, as painful as is the point of time, God, you love us so much, you're not going to let us stay where we are. God, you love your church so much, you're not going to let our sin hurt your body. So God, would you give us much grace this week, Lord, if there's areas in my heart or areas in the hearts of these precious brothers and sisters where falsehood has come in in ways that perhaps we don't even realize, God, in your kindness and your mercy, would you show us this week, we know you're not going to do it to beat us up, you're going to do it because you love us and you're going to pursue us and you're going to call us to repentance. And Lord, I pray that we would find the sweet forgiveness this week of what you only can offer. So we ask for much grace this week to not only see our sin, Lord, to have our blinders removed from our eyes to actually see where we're practicing falsehood. Lord, for much grace this week to experience your sweet forgiveness and much grace this week, Lord, to put on truth-telling, rather become the pattern where we want to be conformed to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to be all that you've called us to be. So would you give us grace this week to walk worthy in our speech and to walk worthy in all matters of life as well, Lord. There's just one we've talked about. But we'll trust you for these things so that you get all the praise, you get all the glory, and we find the joy of you, of knowing you and you conforming us and shaping us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?